Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, it's good to be back up in sermon format after all this celebration and heading fast, fast towards Christmas. And as we begin our Advent series, here are some of the headlines that have been happening in the last couple of months. Things like terror in Paris. 20 people dead in carnage. Gunmen on the loose in San Bernardino. Syrian refugees in crisis on the border. Now, as, as we come into Christmas time, do you feel the same tension I do when we get to this time of year? That it's, it's supposed to be a happy time. That's right. It's supposed to be a happy time. And yet there is this tension that we face is how in the world do we stay happy when there seems to be so much crisis happening in the world? Uh, Not just in terms of world politics and events, but relationships are hard enough to keep together. People are in personal crisis. What do you do with that? Now, crisis on one hand can be quite negative and pessimistic. Crisis on the other hand can be quite positive and constructive. A crisis is a turning point. And I believe that this crisis that we're seeing around us is providing that because I don't know if you've experienced also, but have you found that this context of 2015, this, these topics of terrorism and mass shootings and refugee crisis means that for the first time, I feel like friends and co-workers, your co-workers, are no longer sitting around the water fountains talking about the sport or the weather, but they're talking about truth and morality And the bigger picture of life. And maybe even God if they're not a believer. And so we are in a context, guys, where this perhaps is providing one of the greatest opportunities that we have to talk with our family and friends about the bigger picture. Right? Crisis always has a positive energy to turn people to bigger things. Pray Pray for Paris. Pray for Paris. We see from so many friends that... We wonder if they were even believing before that. And so I I believe because of this, but can we just call a spade a spade? See, we preachers, we get to this time of year and we think, well, it's Advent, so we should have a sermon series like Hope or The Miracle Baby. And we should, or we should talk about incarnation, which is people think has to do with Bathus and the Australian psyche. It's got nothing to do with that. These big words at Christmas time that we just got to call a spade a spade. My friends I was hanging out with yesterday at the Coogee Pavilion have got no interest in the incarnation at Christmas. They've got no interest in the miracle baby story because they're asking themselves questions like this. They're asking me questions like this. If your Jesus is the Prince of Peace and Christmas is supposed to be a time of peace, then from my perspective, doesn't religion just kill the peace? Have your friends said that? Doesn't, is, doesn't religion lead to strife and division, violence and fundamentalism? That's probably the real question at Christmas. Are you up for if we just answer some of those questions this Christmas? Let's just get a bit more real. We can talk about the hope stuff next year. I will, we're going to get there. How, how, do we, how do we answer this question? Does religion kill the peace? Look, the way I'd frame it up, and if you're talking to your friends, I'd say yes and no. Yes and no is my answer to that. First of all, I would say yes, I agree that religion does lead to strife and division. You see, that's because religion is a slippery slope of your heart. 
it sets up a slippery slope. It tells you you've got a truth and you know the right way to act and you've got a set of beliefs and it leads you to characterizing people a bit, caricaturing people a little bit. You two-dimensionalize them, then you separate from them, then you could even potentially get anger, angry at them and then justifying in your mind their marginalization and their exclusion and even their oppression. Can you see the slope? We, when we get religious, we two-dimensionalized people. That's why one of the great theologians, Misoslav Volf, he was the son of a pastor in Yugoslavia, and they were under much oppression most of their life. He says, forgiveness flounders when I exclude my enemy from the community of humanity and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. He says, religion two-dimensionalizes people and you know how it goes you know what it looks like you hear of a terrorist attack in Paris from some Muslims and you say all Muslims are terrorists or we can't trust Islam because Islam is just a religion of pure hate you see you're two-dimensionalizing people Uh, look another great philosopher understood that and we'll get to him in a sec but this makes the thinking, can't you see, this makes the thinking of the average Sydney side of your friends and my friends almost fair enough. Can you see how I, I can sympathise with my mates that this is fair enough that their thinking would be this. We can have peace on earth if all people just kept their religion to themselves. Right? That sounds fair enough. But what I want to show you is that it's not quite fair. You see, that was the approach of a Christian and a great philosopher called Guy Sebastian. And he said, when all the worlds collide, all they know is how to divide and it's, it's easy when they're faceless to blame the other side. And then he says, and the others caught between are the only ones to bleed and the ones they leave behind can only sit and cry, dear God, dear soul, dear Mary Muhammad, can't we just get along? Why can't we all just get along? And in many ways that sounds absolutely fair, doesn't it? But can, can I show you for a second how that, that in itself, that paradigm can be quite bigoted and divisive in itself? Can I show you how it actually could be a religious statement in and of itself? Because what is religion? Some people say religion is believing in God, but without getting into detail, Buddhism doesn't believe in a God, but we call it a religion, right? So what is religion? Religion is an inherited set of unprovable beliefs about the meaning of life, who we are, and what we're going to do about it. That's what religion is. And funny enough, when you take the world's three largest religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, we're actually more united on those questions than we are pretty much anything else. They're the big questions of life. So can you see that it's possible that if you're the sort of person or you know friends that are saying, hey, there is no God, and because there is no God, then uh, basically uh, I'm just a bunch of atoms floating around the sun. And so therefore, as a result, all of life is about just finding my own happiness. Now, could you see that that is implicitly a religious view? (laughs) It's a set of unprovable inherited beliefs that affect the way that you live. And so whether you go to church, whether you go to temple, whether you go to a mosque or whether you go to a nightclub on a weekend, what we have to understand 
is that we cannot escape these inherent truths that we live, live our life upon. Everybody is religious. Are you hearing me? Whether you're a person of faith or not, everybody has the potential to be religious. Now, if that someone says to Christians and to Muslims and to Jews, can't we just get along? Just keep your faith to yourself. Can you see what they're doing? They're, they're, actually, they're actually being they're being divisive. They're saying the one thing that you think is fundamental to your life, can you just deny that? Can you just push that in? Because I have a truth over here that says we all must just get along. And by the way, if you disagree with that, then you're a bigot. It's doing the very thing that these people are saying that you shouldn't do. It's what I call the intolerance of tolerance. So, does religion kill the peace? Yes, because you can be a non-believing, tolerant person that is pushing that on a Christian, Muslim or Jew and if you push that hard enough and they disagree with you, you, can, you too can be divisive. And so on one hand I say, yes, absolutely, religion can and does kill the peace. But on the other hand, what's the problem with peace? And this is where we come to this wonderfully prescient passage that was written 500 years before Jesus was born from the book of Isaiah. And it, it says in here in, in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light and those living in a land of deep darkness, living in the land of darkness. Does religion kill the peace? Yes, on one hand, but on the other hand, no, religion didn't start this stuff off, is my other answer to that. In fact, I was, I was reading this story recently about um, this. It's just yet one of hundreds that have come out of the Middle East. This story of this um, poor uh, young family. The wife is pregnant. Uh, they have to go home, uh, have, a, they have a child. At the time, um, one of these crazy rulers in the Middle East are over there. He's so threatened about the power that's happening at the moment. He's trying to chop the heads off every single firstborn child that is happening and so they're they're a religious minority and as a result they have to take their child and flee down to Egypt in order to escape this um, psychopath that's over there it's just insane they've got nothing they have to just take whatever the clothes they got on their back and flee down to Egypt across the border in the hope that they wouldn't do it and they didn't want to return back to, and they couldn't return back home until this guy was out of there um, if if you're wondering the source of where I got the story it's from um, Matthew chapter 2 in the Bible. <laughs> the message of Christmas is actually quite confronting. It's a, <laughs> the message says from the Bible of Christmas that the world has always been a place that is full of conflict. The thing that hit me this week as I was studying this is at least God knows what it's like to be a refugee from the area around the region in Syria. At least God understands what it's like to, to, to watch or to fear that your family members are going to be beheaded. At least God understands what it's like to go through the oppressive governments that are over the top of you or, or some crazy despot that wants to just declare that your region is now there. God understood that. God was born into that. And so my answer to, oh, does, does religion kill the peace? Well, I have to draw upon another great philosopher who, who said this. Birth control, Ho Chi Minh, Richard Nixon, back again, moonshot, Woodstock, Watergate, punk rock, begin, Reagan, Palestine, terror on the airline, Ayatollahs in Iran, Russians in Afghanistan. He said, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world was turning. 
We didn't start the fire, but when, we're, but when we're gone, it will still burn on and on and on and on. That philosopher, of course, was Billy Joel. In 1989. Uh, he understood the principle that religion didn't kick this stuff off. The world has always been a dark place full of conflict. And what I love about the Bible is when you read this 500 years before Jesus' time, it's just called a spade a spade. It tells it how it is. That on one hand, the Bible is more pessimistic than any people in the world today, but it's far more optimistic. And we're going to get to that in a second. But guys, if, when it comes to Christmas, why do we then have the assumption that everything should be right and should be peaceful? I mean, if we just... Take off our cultural blinkers for a second. Friends, are we not living comparatively in one of the most peaceful times in history? <laughs> in fact, I love the way it works because, you know, the whole reason why that song, We Didn't Start the Fire, came about is because Billy Joel was talking to John Lennon's son, Sean, Sean Lennon, and it was his 21st birthday in 1989, and they were talking together, and he said, oh, it's so tough to turn 21 with the state of the world today. And Billy Joel said, are you kidding me? Didn't you see what we've, going, what we've gone through? And he said, yeah, but you're 40. You're a kid of the 50s and 60s. Nothing ever happened back then. <laughs> and of course, that is why he just lists it off and pens those words. Does religion kill the peace? Yes, on one hand, it can lead to divisiveness. But no, on the other hand, I don't agree that it does. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world was turning. Now, that leaves us with a challenge then because people now say, well, then how do we have peace? And I sympathise with them. I feel for them. How do we have peace on earth and how is our Jesus going to fix all of that up? Look, the question is, what, what really causes strife and how does Christianity solve that? Do you want to do, do a little exercise class? Um, imagine with me... Here's the question. What was the biggest thing in these various generations that killed the peace? I mean, in my great-grandfather's generation, what do you think was the greatest thing that killed the peace? World War I. The central powers. You guys have studied your history. In my grandfather's generation, what was the biggest thing that was going to kill the peace? World War II. The Japanese. If you ask my grandfather... Um, in my father's generation, what was the biggest thing that was going to kill the peace? The communists. You guys really are good at your history. <laughs> in my generation, what is the one thing that's going to kill the peace? Religious fundamentalism. Yeah. Oh, it's just popped up now. It's just popped up now, has it? You've got Pol Pot. You've got Cambodia. Uh, you've got the atheists. You've got the communists. And then you've got the crusades. Guys... Religion is not the killer of the peace. Atheism is not the killer of the peace. Here's the killer of the peace. It's the self-centeredness of the human heart. Ah, and boy, does the Bible, I love the Bible, speak into that so perfectly. The Bible says God created the world to be peaceful. If you go look up at that word called shalom, God, God created the world to be peaceful. But we go right back to the garden when, when we see the first time, actually see when the fire starts. And it's not when bombs come flying in. It's not when another nation decides to take over another nation. It's not between an argument between a Jew and a Muslim and some differing of beliefs. It's, it's when man, humanity said, you know what? I don't want it your way, God. I want it my way. 
And he stole the apple like a little child steals a rattle off one of the other kids. There is something deep within us that causes these brush fires to happen. And so God created the world for shalom. That is the biblical story. But then sin enters the world. And sin is not good deeds versus bad deeds. Sin is self-centeredness. Sin is not good deeds or bad deeds. Sin is self-centeredness, the meanness of the world, that the universe revolves around me, that everything is about me. And that's why I say the Bible summed up in one sentence is, there is a God and you're not it. (laughs) Don't bother reading the 300 pages. I just summed it up for you. So sin comes into the world. Application. So look, if, even if your religion is that there is no religion, there is no God, and this life is all there is, and this life is all there is, and your happiness is all there is, question class, what happens to that type of person when life creeps in and tries to steal away their happiness? Frustration? Or well, if we get a little bit more, turn the volume up. Anger? Turn that up even a little bit louder. Aggression? Even louder. Violence? So this meanness of the world, by the way, you can use your religion as a weapon to fuel your self-centeredness. When that happens, then we are led to strife. So look, the Bible gets into the root of the weeds, not the leaves. Religion, the the, the fighting over economics and wars, they're just the leaves of the weed. The Bible says the root of the system is the self-centeredness of the human heart. You see, a Christian is someone, when you become a Christian, you... You are humbled in a way to say, look, I'm not someone that technically started the fire. But there is something within me that if I let it go out of control, there are things within me. Look, what is anger? What is rage? What is malice? What is slander? Those things, they're jiffy firelighters in the Australian bush in the middle of a fire ban. They are things deep within our heart that the Christian has got the humility to say, look, I didn't start the fire, but I sure as heck could start one now. If I let myself go out of control. And so that's where we are stuck with this problem now as we finish up this morning. Well, how do we deal with this? What has the Bible got to say with this? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. What does that mean? Um, Kristen and I, I'm really on the fire theme this morning we saw we saw a bushfire up at Port Macquarie when we were holidaying there last time I was the first one to it I always wanted to be one of those people first one to a fire and I I got Zach out of the car and we're watching the whole thing go and then Kristen's like don't you think you should call the fire brigade now this is burning off in the scrub there and it was fun for a little bit until it started to get really out of control and then we really started to get nervous put Zach back in the car (laughs) I was sort of stand here across from the road and it was this nervous, nervous feeling around, I'd called the fire brigade and it's getting to five minutes and ten minutes and the flames are getting bigger and they're getting bigger and I'm moving further away and I'm thinking, if they don't get here soon, we are in real trouble. And then it was that instant where I could hear in the distance just the... Now, um, what, is, what is Isaiah 9? Nevertheless, there's a great light. A child has been born. You know what that is? It's the Bible saying, look, the the fire's not been put out yet. Let's be real. Terrorism, 
refugee crisis. The fire's still burning. But for anyone who's a Christian, we can hear, help, help is coming. And the fire brigade is on its way. And we know, we know that this thing is eventually going to get snuffed out. Nevertheless, and so the first message of Christmas is something. There is hope for my friend down here. There is hope that something is at least being done about it. And as we finish this morning, the other side to Christmas is, look, it is a given in Sydney that our thinking is like this for the average person. How the heck are we getting peace on earth when religion just leads to fundamentalism and violence? How are we going to get peace? You know, that siren went off. Um, nevertheless, this child is born. This child grows up, becomes a man, starts a movement that we learnt about of mini firefighters. You were fireflies, you're also firefighters. Of those that are meant to move out to the world with love and peace and grace and his love, he sends him out to the world and he dies on a cross for his enemies. And he dies a criminal's death. He dies a torturous death, the sort of death that we still we see happening in the Middle East today. And he does that to say that God is on his way and that he's come downstairs to fix up the fight. Look, does religion lead to fundamentalism and violence? Does fundamentalism lead to violence? My answer is no. It depends what your fundamental is. Have you ever seen an Amish terrorist? If your fundamental is a man who died loving his enemies, if your fundamental is a man who did nothing but show love and grace and peace to people who are different from him, if, you, if your fundamental is a man that said he came to kill religion and to birth his wonderful thing that we call Christianity, then no. No, it doesn't lead to violence and it leads to peace. So I just got to ask you this morning, look, if Christianity, and we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks, if you see in Christianity that this thing has got the power to kill the divisiveness of religion, it's got the power to heal the self-centeredness of the human heart, if it's got that sort of power, would you be up for at least considering believing in it this Christmas? <laughs> that is the only hope we believe for the world. If that's where you are, we, we invite you to come check it out. Christians... On the other hand, we have a much deeper task. Uh, what is our fundamental? Because we can be religious too. What is your fundamental and what do you see in that man that is our fundamental? Because I'll leave on this. If he is our fundamental, then it's like the statement that I saw on one of our ladies' Facebook pages this week that a pastor had put up in America and it said this, if your religion or if your faith leads to hate then you're doing it wrong. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.